0: There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have one of Canada's top entrepreneurs, Brian Scudamore. Serial entrepreneur and occasional author, Brian Scudamore has always taken the road less traveled. At just 19 years old, he pioneered the industry of professional junk removal with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, turning a chore that most people avoid into an exceptional customer service experience. Then he scaled that success into two more home service brands, WOW, One Day Painting, and Shack Shine, a home cleaning and detailing business, under the O2E Brands banner. You can start guessing what O2E stands for. We'll talk about that. Brian learned the ins and outs of business by running his own company, and he believes anyone with a fire in their gut and a determination to do incredible things can do the same. His philosophy, WTF, which of course stands for willing to fail, stems from his belief in the power of dreaming big, taking risks, and learning from your mistakes. Through franchising, he's giving thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs the chance to BYOB, build your own business, be your own
1: boss and live their dreams of business ownership. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's been uh, probably a good couple of decades since we got together, so it's uh, it'll be nice to catch up with you.
0: That's right, yeah. I, th- I joined Profit Magazine just over 30 years ago, and you were one of the first people that we put on the cover when we were put- doing a story on you know the fresh new face of Canadian entrepreneurs. Um, You, with your marketing sense and your commitment to service and creating, you know, exceptional experiences, um, you struck us as the epitome of the new brand of Canadian entrepreneurship. A few years later, the tech boom rolled over us and all anyone could talk about was the Internet and software and video games and stuff. But you're still there. You're still creating these brands. You're still making it happen. How do you have the energy? (laughs)
1: I think it just comes from a a sheer passion for loving what I do every day. We are in the people business. While it might seem at times we're in the junk removal business, it really is all about people, finding the right people and treating them right. I get the pleasure of watching people grow as entrepreneurs within our franchise network and as people who are entrepreneurs who work with us at the junction, our head office, and are building a, a life and a career for themselves. I really do love every day of what I do and feel so grateful to have chosen the the career path of entrepreneurship.
0: Amazing. So you started a company called The Rubbish Boys. You turned it into 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which for people who don't know, refers to telephone numbers, if anyone remembers those. Um, You started 1-800-GOT-JUNK with one truck at the age of 19, and today it's the world's largest junk removal company. So... Tell us something about the state of the company today and whether any of that, of all this growth was actually inevitable.
1: Yeah, we're a $600 million business with 1-800-GOT-JUNK and you put in the other two brands, Wow One Day Painting and Shack Shine, it, it brings us closer to $700 million with a, a goal of getting to a, a billion in revenue over the next few years. It's really not about the money beyond just a measurement of the size and scale of what we're all building together. But I look back at that rubbish boys days, one truck, beat up old pickup truck, mishmashed uniforms, and everything was just pulled together. And I was flying by the seat of my pants trying to figure out how to pay for college. But ironically, I was learning much more, more about business, running a business than I was in studying school. And said to my dad, who was a liver transplant surgeon, I got some good news for you. I'm leaving college, I'm learning more running a business, and I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. And today we built a business with thousands of trucks across the planet, with lots of great entrepreneurs building their own businesses within our framework. Uh, 600 people in our head offices between Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, open office, fun culture and environment, unique marketing. And we, we continue to have fun every step of the way. You get thrown a wrench like the pandemic makes things more challenging, but in a way it adds some excitement and forces us to innovate and do things differently than we've ever done. But we continue to grow and we continue to have fun. And I think those are the, those are the secrets.
0: Why do you think 1-800-GOT-JUNK? broke through. I mean, this is a service business. It's a commodity. Um, It's something, you know, a lot of people could do for themselves. Yet you built a brand around it that just keeps growing and growing.
1: I think it's a a recipe that we discovered as what we call our, our secret sauce or our strategic formula to growth. And that is People often say in the customer service business that the customer is, is queen or king. They're always right. And we tend to disagree with that. We say the employee, our people, are the most important cog in that uh, set of gears. So we look at our people and our, our strategic model of growth is take care of our people and they will take care of the customer. If we take care of the customer, the customer will take care of our growth of profits, reputation, brand, and so on. And so by putting our people first, by finding the right people and treating them right, by determining how do we best help people achieve their own dreams, again, as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur, that's been what's made this work. So it's a customer service business, but it's all about people. And it's been special. You know, businesses, I realized, can be a way to do good in the world. You help somebody grow a business or, or a career, and they're in turn taking care of their family, doing charitable work in their community. You can have a massive impact starting a business, and it can be a real force for good.
0: And, and what does you know taking care of your people mean? What did you actually do for them? How did you ensure that they felt valued and motivated?
1: We listen to them. We find out what's important to them. Early days, we were giving more paid vacation than any other company I would set my sights on. We would give five weeks paid vacation uh, to every employee. And that was something that helped them work hard, but also play hard. We have something called 101 Life Goals, where we tune into our employees and we challenge them to come up with a list of up to 101 things that they want to accomplish in their life their bucket list, if you will, their dreams and goals and aspirations that others in the business can help cheerlead them towards. So we've taken this perspective, I think, that business, again, can be a force for good. What's something that someone wants to do and accomplish in their life that will make the world a better place that the business can help someone accomplish? It might be something very selfish. It might be something for the greater good of their community. But what is it that the the business can do to help? And putting our focus on people has been has been incredibly important. Now, that was born out of when you, you gave my uh, lovely intro there, which you talked about WTF, being willing to fail. And I think one of my biggest failures was five years into the business, I had the wrong people. And they say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I had 11 employees, but probably nine bad apples. And I sat down one day and said, hey, this isn't working for me. I'm not having fun anymore. And the conversation went something like this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've let you down as a leader and might not have found the right people or I certainly didn't treat you right. And I made a bold decision to get rid of my entire team of 11 and start again. And that's when I learned that a company is all about people and the right people for you as a leader. I needed to be surrounded by optimists, by people that believed in my vision and wanted to follow where I was hoping to take things. And I needed people that saw this as bigger than just a job. And that change was hard, going from five trucks down to just one and having to rebuild an entire company. But it proved in the long term, we wouldn't be where we are today in the hundreds of millions of dollars if we hadn't made that, or I hadn't made that tough, rip-off-the-band-aid decision back in uh, the mid-90s.
0: Did any of those people swear eternal revenge against you? Mm-hmm.
1: I, I thought they would. It, it's interesting. I think they they understood, and I think it started with my ability to say I was sorry, and I took ownership. I said, "Hey, this isn't about me or about you. This is this is me having not found the right people for my business at the right time, and firing eleven people who are." mostly larger than you in size and uh, in one sitting is a scary thing to do but it's interesting I think I I left them their dignity I paid the severance and I, I apologized and did the best I could and years later I had a couple of uh, a couple of the group come back and actually say hello and they talk about their days and what they learned and how much fun they had and even though it wasn't the perfect, pit, uh, perfect fit, they were still left with a, uh, a reasonably positive vibe and they were excited about the success that we did end up achieving.
0: That's really cool. What did you do differently then as you rebuilt the team?
1: Got very, very careful with our hiring. So for me, we talk about the beer and barbecue test as our methodology for how we find people. First of all, would we have a beer with this person that we're interviewing? It's asking ourselves the question, would we sit down and have a coffee with them or a, or a beer? Would we, do we find them interesting and interested? Do they have a shared common passion? And is there some chemistry there? Then we go on to the, the barbecue test, which is how would they fit at a company picnic? How could we see them interacting with our entire company? We're not looking for people to be just like us, quite the opposite. We want diversity of opinions, challenges, backgrounds. We want people to speak up. We want people to add to our culture. And so we, we ask ourselves those two sort of philosophical, theoretical questions or uh, hypothetical questions. And, and we say, listen, would they really pass the beer and barbecue test? Do they fit? And by us being careful assessing that fit or that add to the culture, we, we make fewer mistakes. Do we still make them? Of course, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't really predict the future with the people we're bringing in. And sometimes uh, we, again, make the wrong choices, but we're slower, much slower to hire and we're much quicker to fire. We're not ruthless. We take our time. We make sure someone's got a performance review plan and that we assess their goals and dreams and look at the fit. But when we've made a mistake, we deal with it more quickly if we know that we can't, um, help that person. And we get people leaving our company sometimes that will come back and say, thank you. Thank you for freeing up my future to a place that was a better fit for me. We know that people will come and go, but we really preserve that culture within our business to make sure that it's, um, it, it's shaped and continues to evolve in the way that is best for the business, our people and the customer.
0: It's funny, right about the time that you did that, I had to do that at the job I had at the time as editor of Profit Magazine when the advertising market just dropped entirely and I had uh, four editorial staff and I had to lay off three of them. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, I'd like to think I did it almost as well as you. And mm. we all got together a couple of years ago just before COVID hit. And had a beer and had a great time. <laughs> first time we were all together in nearly 30 years. So yeah, it can happen and that's that and, and and that's great.
1: yeah, it's never easy and it's and it's but it's a part of a leader's role because things will grow and they will shrink. I mean, look at the tech world right now. All these people were scooping up hundreds and thousands of employees from other businesses and paying them double and giving them stock options and and then a lot of those people who were, the last in are now the first out. They're being let go. So there are these tides that go in and out in the employment world, and we have to make tough decisions, but it, it's still part of business. You you don't know when the growth will stop or when it will slow or when it'll start going backwards, and you have to make tough decisions. But it, 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 the outcome, I think, is just what you described. If you can get together years later, and the four of you can have a beer together and still smile and respect each other, that's amazing
0: yeah absolutely and i love what you say about you know things will grow and they will shrink i mean we have we've lost a lot of the confidence in in cyclicality but now we've seen peloton lay people off we've seen uh, uh netflix lay people off you know two of the great growth stories of <laughs> the past sure. decade um so it, so it does happen and uh that idea that everything's got to grow, grow, grow. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are obsessed by that, but it's good to remember that no, sometimes there are <laughs> seasonal fluctuations.
1: Yeah, and, and Rick, you you know, you asked me what what keeps me going. Why do I still enjoy what I do? Robert Herjevik, who I I know you would have profiled in uh, Profit Magazine, um, right? He and one I, of the
0: original C- Dragons. Yeah, he
1: and I have gotten to know each the other, other over the years, and. I remember I was interviewing him uh, during the pandemic and I said, "How do you, what's your advice for entrepreneurs weathering these storms of growth and things shrink and so on? And he said, Brian, we have to remember as entrepreneurs, we get to do this. Like what a privilege to be able to deal with these challenges and opportunities. And to me, it's, I, that resonated and it's like a roller coaster. I'm the kind of guy on a roller coaster that whether I'm going uphill or down, I've got my hands up and a big smile on my face. And that's the same in business. While no one likes when the business is shrinking, it's still how you do it and how your people feel about how you've managed the, the decline that, that really matters because people look at you and they watch every move. And um, I think you've got to respect your leadership within your business and say, you know what? Hard times, but they did it right. And uh, it's important. So yeah, we, we get to do this. Like how exciting is that? And so it's remembering that. And to me, when I go, okay, here comes a road bump, you know, not a, not the end of the world. What's our opportunity to handle that uh, bump in the road with grace and, and um, do the best we can?
0: That's really beautiful. Now you have a Business that is very oriented to franchising now. How many of your operations are franchised as opposed to company owned?
1: Well, pretty much everything is franchised. So we've got across the three brands about 250 franchise owners. Now, we started a business um, just prior to the pandemic called Flywheel, which was really just an internal company that would buy back some franchises that might be struggling that might have entrepreneurs who are done and want to exit they've aged out whatever their uh their path the reason for the path changing and so we've got seven or eight franchises that we've bought back that we run under one managing director and brent is out there leading the charge with this it's almost our own private equity fund if you will of just trying to run these businesses improving them maybe selling them to a new franchise owner or an existing franchise owner, but it's almost exclusively franchised. That's our model. And I learned in the early days when I was still running my own rubbish boys or my own 1-800-GOT-JUNK franchise was someone I'd met in franchising said, Brian, you've got to make a choice. Are you a franchisor or are you a corporate run operation? You can't do both or you can't do both exceptionally well. And I made a choice and we got out of all of our operations and decided to focus, um, as the advice was given, on just one path. And that's been magical for us. It really has been. It's allowed us to stay focused on what we do best and that's developing our people.
0: And when when you say developing people, are you referring to the franchisors or the franchisors teams as well? Sorry, franchisees teams
1: as well. I I think everybody. We've got sort of three audiences. One is our own internal team. We've also got franchise owners, and then we've got franchise owners teams. The one we have the least direct impact on is the teams of our franchise owners. But if we find the right franchise owners, for Shack Shine as an example, we've got a great leader in Toronto, and we can inspire that person and give them the program for them to develop their people, then that's success. So I, I can take a guy like miles in, uh, in in Ontario. He's in Toronto and he's got a technician Matt, and he helped develop Matt to the point that Matt wanted to become an owner and uh, he helped partner with him. Uh, miles and Matt own a, another franchise in Ontario. And so to me, there's this massive um, set of ripples in a good way that you can inspire your people to go on and treat, their people the right way. And again, that's where I look at leadership is what an opportunity we have to make a difference in the world. And um, to me, this is how I make my difference. Right. And how do you monitor and ensure that the
0: franchise franchisors are sticking to the franchisees? Are they sticking to the script? Are they continuing to treat people in the you know idealistic way that you've set out?
1: Mm-hmm. We have a philosophy called inspect what you expect. So even as a CEO of a, uh, you know, several hundreds of million do- dollars in business, I will several times a year call into our call centers and I will listen to the greeting and talk to the cu- talk to the agent on the other line and book a job and so on. We inspect what we expect and we teach our people to do the same. So we talk to our customers. We talk to our people out in the trucks or in the vans, and we just stay connected to the business to see, is what we are promising to the customer or to our people actually being delivered? Is it working? Do we need to innovate and change? And it's that connection that allows us to ensure systems are getting followed. And sometimes it's not that systems aren't getting followed, but are the systems themselves working? I uh, One of my favorite books still to this day, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And Michael's in his mid-80s. He's become a good friend. And I remember when I read that book, people don't fail, systems do. Do you have the right systems to hire people, the right training systems, the right operating systems? And for us, inspecting what we expect is so much a part of what we do to continue to ensure that our systems are actually working.
0: Let's just talk about Michael Ker- Gerber and, and uh, Herjavec for a minute. Um, how do you get to know these people? I seem to recall you had sort of a special affinity for networking.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think I've ever been the world's best networker, but I understand the power behind it. So as someone who's gone to 14 schools from kindergarten through to university, And the only diploma I have is kindergarten because I didn't finish college. I didn't finish high school, talked my way into college. I still understood the value of learning from others. So I created what I ended up uh, referring to as my own MBA, my mentor board of advisors. And I would reach out and connect with someone. So if I read Michael Gerber's book, as I did, I picked up the phone and tried to reach him, and I tried quite hard for many years to reach him. And I saw him at a conference and connected with him briefly. And he didn't seem to have the time for me, but we ended up over time reconnecting. He ended up falling in love with the way we had executed the systems in his book, and he flew out to visit us at uh, in Vancouver at the Junction, our office. And he said, "Wow, I've never seen anybody e-myth their business quite like you guys have." And so I reach out to people. Robert Herjavec, I sent him an email one day as, you know, we can, anyone can send an email to anyone, you know, the power of the internet. It's not hard to figure out someone's email address. And I, uh, I said, oh, you know, wanted to inquire and see what it would be like having you speak at one of our conferences. And he said, funny, you should email me. Robert Herjavec said, he said, I just had a cancellation, uh, at our conference. How about this? He goes, if you can get on a plane next week and come speak at ours, I'll speak at yours and we'll, we'll just sort of trade. And uh, wow. when I went out there and spoke and I asked him, you know, as we got to know each other, I said, by the way, what's your fee? And it was interesting to see that his was many, many, many multiples of mine. So I got a great deal, but also got a friend out of the deal and uh, it was a lot of fun, but it's reaching out and connecting to people. and And this is, you know, some people might be listening and going, well, you know, Brian, you've started this business, everyone knows 1-800-GOT-JUNK, it's easy to network. Before anybody had any clue who 1-800-GOT-JUNK was, or certainly who Brian Scudamore might have been, I would still reach out and connect with people and just ask for their advice, their help, their opinions. Uh, Fred DeLuca, the founder of Subway, who's uh, since passed on, he was an incredible mentor. And I approached him before I had a dozen franchises And I just said, can I ring you up someday and ask you a couple of questions? He goes, great. Here's my card. He goes, I'll tell you what, you know, when I'm in between meetings, driving somewhere, we'll set a time to talk. And he and I had so many phone calls uh, while he was on the road. And uh, he also came to Vancouver to visit our office. He was an incredible mentor. And this was just me asking. So it is a belief that you never know what you'll get unless you'll ask. Do people have the courage to send someone an email or get out on social media and try and connect with someone and say, hey, I, I want to bounce something off you? And if someone doesn't call you back, if someone doesn't reply, you
0: don't let that stop you, right? I mean, you move on, and but you
1: call someone else. Yeah. Or you you know that these are all busy people and you try again. And, you know, it's very rare that I don't reply to someone who's reached out and asked me for help. I will often ask some questions to make sure there's some alignment around why I can help them. Are they looking to sell me something or are they really looking for help? Um, Do I believe I can help or do I think it's better to refer them to someone else or suggest another name? But, um, you know, social media, I think, can be tough because messages can get lost through all these different mediums that we need to check. But when someone reaches out and asks for help, If someone's too busy or they're on vacation when that email was sent, send it again. Ask for help in a different way. Uh, Remind them that you sent an email. People are people. They like to help. And I think if you look at a Robert Herjevic or a Fred DeLuca, they like to help because they remember what it was like when they were younger and on their journey and they got help. And hey, you know, at 52 years old, I still get help from a lot of people. And so that's entrepreneurship. I mean, our franchise program, is the greatest way to to get help from others who are in non-competing businesses. Someone that starts a wow one day painting franchise, they go visit another franchise in another city that's a non-competing business but they're in the same exact field. What a great way to learn from someone else and people are willing to show off what they're learning and and even show off their mistakes and it makes everybody better. That's beautiful. I'm going to encourage
0: all of our listeners to go back and replay the last 5 minutes and just you know, build up your ability to, to to call and contact people, people you might think that, you know, would never give you the time of day, because some of them
1: likely will. And there's nothing better than asking. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, you know what? And it is really something where I, I look at some of the networks I've built over the years, whether it was through Profit Magazine and different entrepreneurs that I used to read about and get connected through the magazine to or whether it was through the entrepreneur organization, YEO, it used to be called the young entrepreneur organization. We all started getting older, so they dropped the Y. And today it's called the EO, uh, the entrepreneur organization. I honestly believe my business would not be 10% of what it is in size and scope if it wasn't for that organization. Because every time I had a challenge, business or personal, I could look to that network and say, hmm, How do I find someone who's had the same challenge and solved it? There's only so many mess ups you can do in the world. You know, you can only make so many mistakes and you can only reinvent and do things in so many new ways. So why not take a shortcut and get perspective from someone else? Uh, You know, I had a a personal uh, issue, which I don't need to get into great detail about years ago. And I reached out to the entrepreneur network and sort of blasted it out to a bunch of people. Within 24 hours, I had 54 responses from entrepreneurs who said, hey, I've had the same challenge. Here's what I've done. Uh, get on the phone if you want to chat more. I mean, they they took what might have taken me six months to solve. Uh, they had me solve this in days because I was able to listen to others and say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. These are smart people and here's the different approaches, but there's some patterns here. So I agree with you. Replay the last five minutes, the last seven minutes, figure out who you need to reach out to. So some people will say, hey, Brian, I know you've, you've built a franchise organization. I'd love your help. I'm looking to franchise. To me, the answer is Jim Collins, good to great, great author. His is always first who, then what? Who do you need to connect with who can best help put you in touch with the answers you're looking for. And why not take a shortcut? It, uh, it's a shortcut to greatness. I'll put you on the spot then. What was the best
0: advice you ever got? And do you remember who it was from?
1: Yeah, Greg Brophy, uh, the late Greg Brophy, incredible mentor. He had created a business called ShredIt, which is still thriving today in the mobile shredding world. And I remember asking him, I, I was stuck in between finding uh, my next COO, and I remember talking to him about people and I said, what's the most important advice you've ever received, Greg? And he said, never, ever, ever, ever compromise on the quality of the people you bring into your organization. And it resonated for, for a couple of reasons. One, because someone who'd built a much bigger business, Greg, was ShredIt, This was valuable learning that proved to be a truism for him. Um, but it also just for me wanting to build a company that was all about people and having made some hiring mistakes, it just made me think about, again, slowing down and don't compromise ever really make sure that this is the right fit for myself, the right fit for someone else within the company. I just interviewed someone the other day. I don't interview many people anymore for positions in the company, just the size that we've grown to, but there was a marketing woman who I was interviewing. And I said, "So who have you met with so far?" And she listed out 14 people. I'm like, "Wow, you know, it's it's one of those things sometimes where I just go, that seems insane in a market where it is so challenging to find people who has the patience to go through 14 interviews." But for us, we we do that to make sure we don't interview everyone 14 times, but. We do have a lot of rigor behind it just to make sure that we're finding the right people and that we're not compromising and that the person being interviewed is also not compromising. We want it to be the best fit for everyone. And our odds, our, our batting average is, is great, Rick, and they usually are.
0: And I, and I was going to ask you, but then you, you brought it up. I mean, right now is probably the hardest time to, to find good people, committed people, people who are, you know, are... are responsible and capable and willing to stay mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. hardest times that I've ever encountered in my career. How has that affected your ability to live by that truism of never to compromise?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really good question. And, and I'll reference back to this woman that I was interviewing. Cause she said, what are you doing? That's interesting right now in terms of how you guys are marketing and finding new people. And I said, I think the interesting thing is we're just being patient. I think the most innovative thing is right now, while, while people are panicking, we're deciding to choose patience and playing the long game. And I've seen this movie play out before. You've seen it play out before, Rick, during the dot-com days. And, you know, no one could find people and everyone was making crazy money and people were moving off to the States. And, you know, these things go through the tides of, of, It's hard to find people. It's easy to find people. And so I think the patience for us in playing the long game is unique. We're saying, okay, we're we're not going to start raising salaries like crazy. We're not going to start just putting offers out there and taking someone, even making it short-term. We're still trying to find the best long-term hires. And if we go through a, a shorter period of being severely understaffed to get through it, hey, we'd rather still have the right people in our organization working together And things are starting to change. I mean, you know, if I look at the news, it's layoff after layoff starting to come in some big tech companies. And they were a lot of the companies that were pulling away some of our great people and paying them double. I mean, we'd get a good employee or a great employee who said, Brian, you know, sorry, team, I I have to leave. I got to take care of my family. I'm making double. And while it seems like a good decision at the time. Again, they are the, the last in. And then when the layoff happens, they're the first out. And it's, it's tricky and you feel bad for them. So we leave our people, when they leave us, we leave them with the message. If we really thought they were great people, you're always welcome back. We'd love to see you back here. And uh, it's been interesting because people that left over the great progression, now fewer people with us as a percentage than I think most companies, but they're starting to come back. And I'm glad we welcomed them back with open arms. Um, People make mistakes and they go, oh, that was short-sighted. And now I've got to come and eat some humble pie. No, not a big deal. Come on back and we're all good. So you've built this uh, mini service
0: empire on a lot of principles that uh, have guided you well and faithfully over the years. Tell me something that's changed what 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 have you what have you changed your mind about a, you know, one hundred and eighty degrees? Uh, what have you learned over the over the past few years mm-hmm. or decades?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm reflecting on what you had said a minute ago. You just said you've built this. So what I've learned and something that I've really changed my own opinion on is the the importance of leadership, and it isn't a single leader, but it's building a culture of leadership. To me, I didn't build this. We're building this. There is a big team of people who are passionate behind the vision and what we're building. I, I get to plant this little seed of an idea of the Rubbish Boys and 1-800-GOT-JUNK and Shack Shine and WOW One Day Painting, and, but there's brilliant people working together to make magic happen. And If I look at myself, I think that whole philosophy of you can't be the smartest person in the room or you're in the wrong room, I think in 1995, six years into my business, when I fired my entire team, I I still probably felt like I was the smartest person in the room and I had all the answers, but I realized that is so far from the truth. I don't have all the answers, but I can find the right people that do have all the answers and build something bigger and better together. And, And that's what's made our business. I keep going back to the word special, and I know in the beginning you said O2E. we'll get to what that means in a minute. And uh, you know if we get to that right now to me it it stands for ordinary to exceptional. We've got ordinary businesses, junk removal, house painting, window washing. We've got ordinary people like myself, high school dropout, college dropout. but we are building exceptional people teaching them how to build exceptional businesses and deliver exceptional, customer experience so when someone came up to me it was someone in my finance department he said Brian we got this numbered holding company do we want to call it something instead of just having this parent company have a number and I said uh yeah O2E ordinary to exceptional I mean it, it took me literally that quick because I knew that the whole basis of what we stood for was that and that's the company that's the company that's the mission and, and it's uh, and it's working for us
0: now, at one point, you also had a, a another company called You Move Me. Uh, is that still around?
1: It's still around, but it's not owned by us. And when we talk again about a WTF moment, willing to fail, well, Rick, we made a big mistake there. And every time I hear that, that brand, it just makes me take a big, deep breath and go, man, we made some mistakes and it hurt. Yeah, but it, makes uh, but it taught us something.
0: Podcast fodder, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, so it, it's interesting. So you move me was a company that we started and had for eight years. And we said, okay, we we've built some great brands that are starting to grow and we got to do it in the moving space. I had a terrible move myself and we were arrogant to think and naive that, Hey, we could build a great business in that space. Here's what we learned after eight years. And we sold it at break even, and someone else is running it now. And hopefully doing a better job than we ever could. But it was a commodity business that it was hard to add something unique and special. With Wow One Day Painting, we paint people's homes in a day. We're in and out in a day, same quality, but a faster timeline, organized one to two people in each room, like clockwork, boom, it's done. And people feel so great about their coming back to the space that's been transformed in just a day when we do people's windows or gutters or put up their Christmas lights. They're like, look at, look at my house. My house loves me. People love Shackshine shine and get a great feeling from it. And then one 800 got junk. Someone points at their junk and boom, it's gone. And what a feeling of relief. Best ad ever. Those three, those three brands are happy brands. When I look at you move me as a moving company, it's a needed service. We've all used movers. But no matter what, at the end of the day, the customer is stressed. Mom and dad are fighting because they've lost stuff. They The kids are in a new home, a new neighborhood. Stuff's gotten broken. They've got to unpack. It's stressful. And we decided we need to choose happy businesses that we can transform that space. And we just couldn't do it with moving. And sometimes you got to know when to throw in the towel and give up. And, uh, and we did. And, and one last story on that is Dina Dwyer, who owns a company, multi-billion dollar home service empire called the Dwyer Group, Mr. Electric, Mr. Reuter, a bunch of great brands. She advised us as a mentor against it. She gave us all the reasons why it wouldn't work. And we respectfully listened and said, OK, thank you, Dina, for the advice. And we went and did it anyways. Eight Eight years later we called her back and we said, Dina, you were right. Oh, you know, and and we we realized the learning. So again, sometimes it's also listening to your mentors who are much wiser. And um it was a it was a tough one for us. And we 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 did it, we're out, and it taught us what to look for in our next brands as we continue to expand our service offerings.
0: You 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 practically interview yourself. It's perfect because I wanted to find out what 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 good came of that experience because one of your uh, uh one of one of your key teachings is wtf you had a real wtf moment willing to fail um willing to admit that hey you know didn't work out and and you believe that failure that, that embracing failure is 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 an important part of business life so so how did you turn that into something good
1: well, I think we shared the stories of our failures with the entire company. We said, here are the mistakes we've made. Here's what we've learned. I think the the biggest thing was empowering our team to understand and believe that if the leaders in the company are saying they've made a mistake and that's okay, maybe we can make mistakes and that's okay. We tell people it's okay to fail. Don't repeat the mistake, um, but figure out what you've learned and the more we've had some big failures and we talk about them publicly or internally, I think it empowers others to go, okay, I can make some mistakes. And that's where our business gets better. If you're not willing to make a mistake and try and do something differently, um, you're not innovating, you're not growing. And eventually things fall apart and you die. So make some mistakes, embrace it. Um, and you know, it's a message for our people all the time. Go screw up. It's okay. And, uh, as long as we learn from them.
0: Do you have awards for screw up of the year or anything like that?
1: You know what? We don't. Uh, We've talked about it and thank you, Rick, for the reminder, but no, we, we need some of that. It's, it's that balance of someone being able to laugh at themselves when they've made a bad mistake. Nobody's gotten hurt and you can just go, yeah, you know, like what, what, what did we, I, I think some awards there would be like, what was the biggest failure that turned into such a great, opportunity. And um, I talk about in WTF, sometimes you've got to double back, you've got a fork in the road, you go down one fork and it doesn't work out, double back and try the other fork. So making mistakes is a big part of what gets you to try a, another fork. Right. We
0: should probably talk about your new book, BYOB, Build Your Own Business, Be Your Own Boss. Um, you've worked very hard to make franchising More accessible. And I'm wondering, you know, is franchising really entrepreneurship? And if so, how are you making, how are you improving that experience for people?
1: I think it's absolutely entrepreneurship. I sit there and I think of Paul Guy, our first franchise owner who drove a truck from Vancouver to Toronto, took a risk, was the first. And uh, people followed him. And, you know, here's a guy who, and, and not that everyone's into the toys and, and all that sort of stuff, but he's got his Austin Martin, he's got his home in Hawaii, they travel like crazy. And, you know, he's, he's really built something special with his team. And he's an incredible entrepreneur, because he has over $100 million worth of revenue, uh, with 1-800-GOT-JUNK with markets in Australia, the United States, all over Canada. And he's done a really great job inspiring others to become owners with him in some of his businesses. So I think that franchising is just, it's a model. And BYOB, I investigate in the book, two paths to entrepreneurship. One, do you want to blank sheet it like I did with the Rubbish Boys and build it from scratch? And it took me eight years to get to a million in revenue. Today, we do a million in a morning, which is, you know, just shows you that over time, wow, these the, the momentum can really build. Or do you want to be someone who takes a proven playbook and executes like a Paul Guy who did a million in revenue in his first full calendar year? So they are different paths. And I think it depends on someone's personality. And someone I talk about in the book who I recently uh, sat down for a meal with and had a great chat is Shaquille O'Neal, NBA superstar, DJ rock star. Like The guy is just unbelievable. And what I love about him is when I... Interviewed, did, you call him, did you email him too? Uh, you know what? I, I sent a note to his team and said we'd love to have him speak. This was during the pandemic and thought people are more accessible. Can we have him speak at our conference? And we heard back and he said, sure. You know, he's like, I'm at home anyways. And uh, so he spoke. And, and when I interviewed him at the conference, Rick, what I loved is... I said, why have you chosen franchising? I didn't even realize he was really the franchise king with half a billion dollars worth of wealth across his suite of businesses. And he said, Brian, it's, it's the same as basketball, as sports. It's all about leadership. You find the right people. You put them in the right positions. You coach them, encourage them, develop them. He goes, I look at businesses and I go, what's the playbook? I don't want to reinvent the space. I just want a proven playbook that I can put the right people in, lead them to execute and off they go. And I just thought that was brilliant. And so I got to know Shaq a little bit, wrote about him in the book. And I wrote about him as someone who was able to take a simple model and add a level of uh, glamour and sexiness to it, if you will. I mean, franchising, you know, doesn't appeal to everybody because they think, oh, is that really being an entrepreneur? Hey, if Shaq can do it, you know, I would never have done it because I need to invent things from scratch. If I bake or cook a dish, I I go to Google and get some inspiration, but I do it all myself from scratch and it might not be good and then I reinvent and I tweak. Other people want just a five-star Italian recipe and off they go and they make it right the first time. So I think it's the difference between do you start from scratch? Do you follow a playbook? I think they're both absolutely valid in that you're building teams and leading people and building a life for yourself and others
0: and you also have this business called shack shine now did he ask for a piece of that since you were using his name
1: uh well he's he's certainly interested in looking at franchises uh you know i mean the the shack that we're using is s-h-a-c-k uh shack shine you know it, it's sort of a play on on the sort of tongue still and works, man. still works yeah, it works no it works for sure so who knows where that will lead but um there could be some magic hidden there. Okay.
0: Uh, we've had a great conversation. You've probably got to go make another million bucks uh, this afternoon. So we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. But let's just talk about culture. You, you, you've talked about mm-hmm. um, treating people well and everything, but but creating a culture in the workplace is really important. We haven't really um, talked about that. So so tell us what you've learned over the past 30 years about building cultures that work, cultures that grow, cultures that perform.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it's similar to the beer and barbecue test. While we haven't talked about it, we sort of did in the sense that if you are having a house party, um, I remember my days of, you know, going from house party to house party on a weekend, and then you find one, you're just like, this is unbelievable. You can just tell the moment you walk in the door that it's a great party. And why? It's about the people at the party. And so we look at our business and we say, how do we continue to bring the right people to the party? People that take our business seriously, but not themselves, people that are willing to have fun, people willing to make mistakes. So culture, I've really found that it can be more challenging once you get larger, but then it starts getting easier because the culture is so omnipresent that if you get it right, it just perpetuates itself. And so for us, it's just paying attention to every person we invite in the door and uh, every person that we ask or show the door if they're not the right fit and they don't live up with our values. We've got values, passion, integrity, professionalism, and empathy, pipe. If someone doesn't display our values, we call them on it. If I don't display the values, my people call me on it. And so it's that cultural cornerstone that's all tied around our values Jim Collins, again, great author, would say, doesn't matter what your values are. It's that you have them and you stay true to them. And so people come and go through the business based on uh, their fit with values, with our values. And when it works, that's culture. And it keeps getting better as long as we're getting more consistent. And finally, Brian, I've always admired the way you, you put such thought
0: into what you do. And then you turn it into a thing. You give it a name like Pipe or BYOB or WTF. You create, a, a, you create brands on processes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I'm just wondering where that came from and how important that's been to you.
1: I think it probably comes from, it's a good question, actually, and one I've never been asked, believe it or not. I think it comes from my ADD nature. I have a hard time staying focused. I mean, just look at 14 schools, right? I find that if I can make something memorable, people are less likely to forget it. So WTF, what an easy way to remember that it's important to fail. And so I've tried to brand things to distill them down to their core, to make them simple, to make them easy easy to understand. And, And beer and barbecue is just that. I can't stand interviewing because I'm the guy that in the first five minutes, if I'm not careful, I go, I love this person. They're great. Let's hire them. And so at least if I've got to check a litmus test of sorts to say, do they pass the beer test? Do they pass the barbecue test and what those mean? And so we've simplified interviewing for our entire company and we simplify vision with here's the painted picture. What does that future look like? And so it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it before and, uh, that's my answer and I'm sticking to it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all these insights and, you know, the various idiosyncrasies in your <laughs> genetic makeup right. that, 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 that that made them work for you. And that's really interesting. And I think so many entrepreneurs have that, uh, same ad- addictive tendency that, that uh, sometimes they even have a, 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 a an attention deficit so anything that we can do to uh, to formalize the best practices and brand them and make them something that we that we use all the time and that other people can use and other people can hold us and <laughs> can hold up to us uh, right. to, to make sure we're doing it uh, that sounds like exactly the right way to build a business. Around here, Brian, we uh, traditionally ask one last question where we say, can you think of one other thing you haven't said already on this podcast, one piece of advice to offer our eager entrepreneurial listeners?
1: Yeah, you know, it's my favorite thing in the world is to envision the future. The best way to, to see that the future happens is to create it first in your mind. And so if anyone wants to reach out to any of my social media and and say, hey, can I see your painted picture? Um, We have this process that we're happy to share with people that we think is a bit of a gift that's worked for us is what does that one page future look like for us? And how does somebody create their own for their own personal life or for their business? How do you get out there and develop a future that you can then recruit a team uh, behind to help shape? And um, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there, says Alice in Wonderland. And I believe that. So get clear on the path. Get clear on your painted picture. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, happy to send them a, an article and a, a bit of a framework of how we've created ours. I, It's uh, something I always love to share.
0: I would ask you to give us your email address, but no, we'll make them work for it. They'll have to find it just <laughs> like you had to find <laughs> Robert Herjic.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? Social social media is perfect. If somebody goes to at Brian Scudamore on any of my, you know, the Facebook and uh, Instagram, I'm not on TikTok yet. Got to work on that one. But LinkedIn, whatever it might be, tell me you want to see our painted picture. Happy to send it. And uh, if someone's got a question on anything, always happy to to try and engage and help.
0: You have great 30 second sound bites. I think you'd be a hit on TikTok. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> rick Spence says get on TikTok."
0: <laughs> all right brian scudamore the founder and ceo of 1-800-got-junk and other service businesses that bring a smile to people's faces thank you so much for sharing these stories with us and thank you for what you've done to build canada and build our entrepreneurship community you've been a role model for years and you share all your learnings you share the, 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 the visions that you have and the techniques that you develop. And I admire that. And it's one of the reasons why I love entrepreneurship is that we all know that by helping each other, we strengthen the whole network.
1: Well, amazing. It's been an awesome hour together. And I sure loved catching up with you and having a virtual coffee with you. But thank you, Rick. It's been awesome.
0: All right. Stay young and hungry, my friend. I will. I will. Thanks a lot.